Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, in this series, we've been talking about how it is possible, it is possible to experience the best of times, the worst of times, at the same time. It is possible for your life to be greatly blessed at this very moment, while at the same time being greatly burdened. It is possible for you to be going through a very difficult time in your life while experiencing a very wonderful time in your life. It is a a divine dichotomy that Jesus talks about in John 10. On one hand, you have an enemy seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. On the other hand, in the very same verse, at the very same time, you have a God who is seeking to give you a life that is abundant and greatly blessed. And I believe the outcome, that which determines how we navigate through the best of times and the worst of times is tied to our perspective. And I really believe this because it is true that you don't necessarily see things as they are as much as you see things as you are. We look at life through our perspective, through our experience, through our, through our attitude. All of those things shape, it is the filter through which we see life. And as a result, it greatly determines the success that we have in life, um, the effectiveness we have in working with the people that we work with in life. So since there is so much of my life and your life that is out of our control, what we've been saying is we have to learn how to control what we can control. And that's really the heart of the series. How can I, how can you, how can we control the elements in life that we can control in the midst of good things and bad things, happy things and sad things? What is it about my life and yours that we can control? Well, let's review. Remember I said in the first week, I can control the thoughts that I think. I'm in control of that. The mind is the most powerful thing God has given to any of us, and so it is so essential that we are thinking about what we're thinking about, because we will ultimately go in the direction of our thoughts. You're here today because you first thought yourself here. So our mind is the most powerful thing we have. So be careful how you think. Be careful allowing your mind to drift in a very negative, uh, uh, defeatist, fatalistic type of way, because your life will tend to track in that direction. And then we said, not only am I in control of the thoughts that I think, I'm in control of the words that I speak. Matthew 12, 34, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. If you wanna know what a person's thinking, listen to what they're speaking about. If you wanna know the preponderance of what's in someone's heart, then listen to the balance of their conversation. They'll tell you what they're thinking by what they're saying. They'll tell you where their heart is by their conversation. I don't mean just a one-off here or there. I mean by the preponderance of the things that they talk about gives you an indication of where their thinking is. So I have this idea that I can control my thoughts. I have this idea that I control my words. Last weekend I said I can control the choices that I make. If you want a better life, make better choices. (laughs) Not rocket science. And so I'm in control as you are of the choices that we make. And we make choices every day. I've said the five-year plan of your life is tied to your five-minute plan. You make good choices in the next five minutes and the next five years tend to take care of themselves. So, if you're tracking, we are in charge 
of the thoughts we think, the words we speak, uh, the choices we make. And this morning, we're in charge of the attitude that we embrace. We're in charge of the attitude that we embrace. Now, attitude has been defined this way. An attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something that is reflected in our behavior. Think about that. A settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something that's reflected in our behavior. The late Herb Kelleher, who was a CEO of Southwest Airlines for many years, when the company was really reaching uh, unparalleled heights, unprecedented success for that airline. And he used to say that the secret to their success was in the people that they hired, in the team that they formed. And he said, we don't necessarily look at education, though that's important. He said, we don't even necessarily look at their experience, though that's important. Because he said, we've learned we can pretty much train people to do what the job is and what it requires. He said, this is the most significant thing that we hire. This is the most significant basis upon which we hire is their attitude. Attitude. They have the right attitude? He said, we're going to hire them. (laughs) We can train them to do the job. But the attitude is everything. And I think that's essential. Have you met anybody, have you known anybody that has just a terrible attitude? I mean, very conceited, very arrogant, kind of full of themselves? Have you ever tried to uh, work with someone or have you hired someone and you've tried to get them to do a job when they're not teachable, right? You just can't teach them because they already know. They actually know a little more than you. They should actually have your job. (laughs) Well, here's what I found about people like that is even, listen, even God cannot fill what is already full. So whatever you're full of, you know, you, you are maxed out. You're at a capacity. But if you have an attitude, however, conversely, that's teachable, that is open, receptive and responsive, objective, then it's an attitude that anyone can embrace and everyone will want to be around someone like that. It has been well said, it is one's attitude, not their aptitude, that determines their altitude. Even the attitude of a plane determines its altitude. And have you ever seen two people go through the very similar thing and come out of it very differently? You see one person go through a horrible experience and they come out of that experience stronger and they come out of that experience with a better attitude. You can see someone go through the very same experience and they come out of that very same experience very bitter with a very harsh attitude. We choose our attitude. It is a response to what we go through. I heard about a lady who had a small daughter and, and she was trying to teach this daughter and so she was sitting there and when everyone was standing, her daughter would want to sit. When everyone was sitting, her daughter would want to stand. She couldn't get control of her. Uh, and so uh, she finally, everyone is sitting and they're listening to the speaker and the daughter is standing and wanting to talk. So in frustration, she finally kind of gets her daughter and sets her down in the seat. And the daughter looks at her mother and through gritted teeth, she says, Mom, I'm sitting on the outside, but I am standing on the inside. Did <laughs> you have a little defiant little booger like that in your house? It's an attitude, right? It's an attitude. I heard about a man who was abusive. He was an alcoholic, and he raised two sons. And one son became as abusive as his father. He became an alcoholic as well, and he abused his children, abused his wife. Someone interviewed him one time and said, why has the direction of your life gone the way it has gone? And he said, I'm an abusive person, I'm an alcoholic because my father was abusive and he was an alcoholic. 
Conversely, they interviewed his brother. His brother was a very loving father, very uh, affectionate uh, husband, a very successful businessman. And they said, how does your life, what is the secret? How does your life go this way? He said, my life has gone this way because I was raised by an alcoholic who was an abusive father. I'm just suggesting to you that we all go through bad stuff. It is not the thing, as you've heard before, that happens to you that is nearly as significant as the response to what has happened to you. We choose our attitude. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 and verse one, listen, it is not possible to go through life without offenses. Jesus said this, you're gonna be offended. You're going to go through offenses. People are going to hurt you. You're going to go through betrayal. You're going to be deceived. You're going to be used and misused and abused. It is not possible, Jesus said, to live life without offenses. But when you read the context, he was concerned about how it would affect the attitude of his apostles when they went through those things. He was saying, don't let those things that you go through uh, set on you and take root within you and affect who you are. Someone who has been offended, as we all are, have to realize there comes a point where you have to let that offense go. You have to release it. And I know it's hard to do because I know when you say release an offense, and by the way, one of the words, or or one of the definitions, rather, for forgiveness is release. Release. When you forgive someone, you release them. And it costs you to forgive. Somebody owes you $1,000 and you forgive the debt, they're released, but it costs you a 1,000 bucks. Forgiveness costs something. And so when you finally release it and you finally let that go, it has a powerful, positive impact on your attitude. Conversely, when you hold that, it's like making a fist and gripping it as tightly as you can. Before long, your hand hurts. Before long, your arm hurts. Before long, your shoulder is hurting because the refusal to release will affect you physically. It'll affect you emotionally. And I know people say, well, if I, if I release this person or if I release that thing, they're getting by with it. Here's what I've come to terms with. Maybe this will help you. You have to be comfortable knowing that there are some people in life who uh, say things and do things to you in life that they may, one, never acknowledge, and two, may never ask forgiveness for. They may never do that. And if you can't let that go and let them go, if you can't release the offense, here's what happens to you. You are holding your future hostage to your past. You can't go past that. You're saying, I refuse to go forward and I refuse to let go of this because that's unreconciled and that is unresolved and we cannot force people to acknowledge what they've done to us and we cannot force people to apologize for it. Control what you can control. And I'm saying one of the ways to have a good attitude is you have to learn how to release offenses and you have to learn how to let it go. You have to learn how to let them go. When Jesus was teaching in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, he was talking about this Beatitude. In verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. The word pure in the Greek is katharos, katharos. Pure in heart, katharos. Guess what word we get from katharos? Catheter. Catheter, catheter. 
It is a medical device that is designed to take impurities out of the body. How's that? Does that pass muster with our medical folks? And if you don't do that, then your body can become poison. Uh, you, you can actually um, develop a, a, a toxicity in your body that could be lethal. So you have to have this to carry that out of your body. Can, can I tell you, Jesus was onto something here when he said, blessed are the katharos in heart. The people who can get that out of their heart, the toxicity. Blessed are they, happy are they. The right, the be attitude, the attitude they need to have is an attitude that is tied to the ability I have to get that toxic stuff out of me. And that's not easy. That's not difficult. But I'm just saying it is essential. Think about the power of an attitude. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? If you have someone who's terminally ill or someone who is very ill, he's saying in Proverbs that it, it is their attitude that can sustain them through their illness. My own experience, I think about Cindy and I think about the illness she had and we found that it was terminal and she wasn't going to get better barring a miracle from God. And one of the things that was so remarkable about her through her whole journey all the way till she stepped into heaven was her attitude. We talked about it. Not one time did she ever say, this isn't fair. Why this? Why me? I'm getting cheated out of so much in my life and I, this is just doesn't right. And what was God? Now listen, I said all that. <laughs> I said all that. And some more things I can't really talk about. But I'm just saying her attitude was never that. And I saw a living example before me of someone who had a good attitude that helped sustain them through the most difficult times of her illness. Your attitude is so important. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that we are to glorify God. Now what does that mean? That sounds like Christianese, right? What does glorify God mean? Well, let me break it down. Glorify God means to simply be a reflection of who he is. When Paul said unto him be glory in the church, what he meant by that phrase in Ephesians is, may everything that God is be reflected through his people. A church is just a collection of, of God's people. We're the body of Christ on the earth. So when a church glorifies God, a church becomes a reflection of who he is. Well, if we're his body, we need to do what he did and we need to do it with the attitude that he had. And so I'm suggesting you that just as a church collectively is to glorify God, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you and I individually are to glorify God. In other words, my life and yours ought to be a reflection of who he is. I've said before, your life may be the only Bible someone reads. The only picture of Jesus anyone ever comes to see is what they see in you. So it's essential that we think about the life that we are living in front of the people who do not yet know God. And so he's saying, here are the two essential ways whereby you can be a reflection of who he is. 1 Corinthians, again, 6.20. Glorify God in your body. That's what you do. It's how you conduct business. It's how you treat your family. It's how you do the things that you do each and every day of your life, in your body. And then he said, and just as significant, and in your spirit, which is attitude. And then he reminds us that both belong to God. 
Did you know you can, you can absolutely discount everything you've done in your body physically? You could, all the boxes you check, good life, good person, good business person, you can discount all of that with a terrible attitude, at least in God's evaluation. You can check all the boxes, you can live a good life, you can have great values and good standards and live up to all those things that you try to aspire to, and all of those things can be absolutely discounted with a terrible attitude. I see it a lot in church world. (laughs) And I can tell you it is a a detriment to trying to bring people to a church or get people into a relationship with Christ when they see a, a person who professes faith in Christ and they may do all the right things, but they do all the right things with a terrible attitude. Remember the famous quote of Mahatma Gandhi who said on one occasion, I might have become a Christian had I ever seen one. Can I tell you the most powerful argument for Christianity is a Christian? And the most powerful argument against Christianity is a Christian? So I'm suggesting you, we have a lot of pressure on us to live up to the life that we claim we have. And Paul is saying, look, the secret to this is not just how I conduct myself each and every day, but with my attitude. So just for the balance of time we have, I wanna just quickly show you a man who did this very well. His name is Paul, great apostle. And if you know his life and you've studied about him in the New Testament very much, you know he's a man that faced a lot of adversity. He talks about his life, he said, man, I was beaten, I was shipwrecked, I've been left for dead three times, I've been betrayed. Sounds like a country song, man, this guy. <laughs> he has gone through everything you could imagine. And what's remarkable about about the Apostle Paul is in spite of all the things he had experienced in life, the man has a good attitude. The book I want you to, or the little letter I want you to focus on just for a few moments is Philippians. And in Philippians 4, I think I found the secret to his attitude. Now keep in mind, he's writing the book of Philippians to the Christ followers in the city of Philippi. And he is writing during a great time of duress and stress in his life. He's being held prisoner. He's appealed to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen, but yet he knows once he goes before Caesar, he may be put to death. And, And the crime that he has committed is treason against Caesar. And treason is being defined as saying that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. And you couldn't claim a higher allegiance to anyone other than Caesar, or you would have been guilty of treason against Caesar. So Paul was saying, there's no other God, but you know, the God we serve, uh, uh, he, he is first in my life. That doesn't mean I don't respect Caesar. That doesn't mean I pay tribute, as Jesus taught, to Caesar, uh, pay to Caesar what's due to Caesar. But when it comes to my allegiance and if it comes to uh, the Lord and leader of my life, it, it's Jesus. And so, man, they, they got him on that technicality and they're gonna kill him. And so here he is facing death. And the theme of his book It's not gloom, doom, and despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. That's a throwback to hee-haw, by the way. (laughs) If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Remember that one? Gloom, despair, and agony. Okay, thank you for saving me on that one. Holy cow, TV land, kids, it's a real thing. You'll have to go home and Google that. But that wasn't his song. His song was joy and peace. How can a man going through what he's gone through and experiencing what he's experiencing have an attitude of joy and peace? I wanna read a few verses to you and one of the words I want you to notice that will jump out at you as I read this is the word things. 
things, things. Listen to Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the attitude. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever thing is right, whatever thing is pure, whatever thing is lovely, you get in a pattern, whatever things are admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Finally, whatever you've learned, received, or heard from me or seen in me, do it. Put it into practice. And if you do that, notice the attitude, the God of peace will be with you. Here's the secret to a good attitude. It's the perspective you have on the things that you're dealing with today. Things, things, things. What's my attitude about those things? Good things, bad things, happy things, sad things. Challenging things, easy things. What's my attitude? Five quick thoughts. Number one, Paul said, worry about no thing. You see that? Be anxious for no thing. Worry about no thing. Now let me ask you, you're in church, don't lie. How many of you have at least one thing you worry about? My hand's up, one thing. How many of you are sitting next to one of those things you worry about? (laughs) All right, I'm just messing with you now. How many of you that are very good at worrying are worried if you're not worried? Anybody like that? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going good. I am, uh, something's wrong. Something's bound to happen. It's going too good. That's not the story of my life. You just get worried. Let me give you two things you should never worry about. You ready for this? Two things you should never worry about. D- number one, don't worry about things you can't do anything about. If you can't do anything about it, why worry about it? Right? Just resign as, you know, Lord of the world, (laughs) step back. You can't change it, you can't fix it. It's beyond your scope and ability, you outpunt your coverage, so just walk away from it. So number one, don't worry about things you can't control. Number two, don't worry about things you can control. If you can fix it for the love of God, get up and go fix it. What are you doing in here? (laughs) Fix that thing. Don't worry. Paul said, look, one of the things that helps my attitude that keeps the bubble in the middle and keeps the equilibrium in my life between what I do and the attitude about it is the fact I have learned the secret of not worrying about anything. I uh, read an interesting article. It was an interview of of an extreme skier by the name of of Kim Rysom. And Kim is a world uh, champion extreme skier. Now that's just off the chart, if you've ever seen these guys, off boulders, through trees, I mean, just unbelievable. And she was doing an interview, amazing athlete, and the person doing the interview said, how in the world do you get around those obstacles and you go through those trees and you don't hit them? And she responded, I have learned, listen to this, don't stare at anything you don't want to hit. Isn't that deep? You know what worrying does? It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. The guy says, this is why I worry. Nothing I worry about ever comes to pass, so it pays to worry. What? (laughs) I'm just suggesting to you that when when you negatively focus and that's the attention of your life is on the negative and what could happen and what might happen and what may happen, it robs the joy of of your present experience. You're burning fuel that you don't yet have and you don't yet need when you worry. Jesus said in Matthew 5, take no thought of your life. He said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You got enough to handle a day without worrying about tomorrow. I'm just gonna give you enough fuel in your tank to get you to your next destination and then we'll refuel. When you're worrying about tomorrow, you're burning fuel that you don't yet need. Worry about nothing. Number two, he said, pray about everything. Verse six, 
And he ties those two together, which I think is interesting. And I don't think it's accidental. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, he said, through prayer and thanksgiving. Uh, he ties prayer to worry. Here's what I found in my life. See how this works for you. You cannot worry and pray about the same thing at the same time. So when I worry, whatever I'm worried about, I pray about it. So let that trigger your brain. I'm worried about it, all right, pray about it. Worry, pray. Worry, pray. Oh, worry, pray. <laughs> worry, pray. I mean, the minute you catch yourself worrying about it, pray about it. Number three, worry about no thing, pray about all things. Number three, again in verse six, be thankful for everything. Just be thankful for everything. Did you know the root word of thank is think? The root word of grace is gratitude. What that says to me is people who think are thankful and people who are graceful are grateful. It's not a big stretch there, is it? So I'm saying everybody in the room has something for which they can be thankful. It doesn't matter how crazy your life is right now. You can stop long enough to think about things you can be thankful for. One old theologian said we need to pull some of the groans out of our prayer and shove in a few hallelujahs. <laughs> Just stop long enough to say thank you, God. You're faithful. You say, how do you do this in the midst of a difficult time? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? Here's what I found. This helps me, maybe it'll help you. You don't necessarily thank God because the times are good. You may be going through a bad time. And if you only thank God because the times are good, then you won't thank him when the times are bad. See what I mean? Now all of a sudden the circumstances of my life dictate the level of my gratitude. I'm a very thankful person when things are going well, but when things aren't going well, it changes my attitude and now I'm, I'm an ingrate and I'm not thankful at all. So I'm tying my thankfulness to my emotion that is tied to my present experience. So don't thank God because the times are good because you won't thank him when the times are bad. Here's what's helped me. I don't thank him because the times are good. I thank him because he is good. You see the difference? In other words, he's good when the times are bad. He's good when the times are good. He, he's, good he's good all the time, always. He's, not, he's unchanging. He's constant and consistent. And so if I just, when I'm going through a terrible time, I just say, God, I don't get it. It makes no sense. I don't even agree with it. I don't feel that it's fair. But I know, God, you have a plan. You're faithful. You, you can't fail. So God, I thank you because of who you are and what I know you are able to do. So let's put it together. Worry about nothing, pray about all things, be thankful for everything. Number four, and I won't belabor this one much because we did this a couple of weeks ago, think on the best things. Verse eight, remember he said if there's anything positive, virtuous, if there's anything good, focus on that, think on that, put your mind on that. Again, Proverbs 23, seven, it says, as a person thinks in their heart, so will they be. We talked about the fact you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So think about what you think about. Paul said it'll help your attitude. Lastly, closely, we'll close with this. Number five, do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Have a can-do attitude. Paul said, I can through Christ who gives me strength. I know I can do this. God will not call you to do anything he does not equip, enable, and empower you to do. Paul said, put this into practice. I mean, inspiration without perspiration leads to frustration. <laughs> James said, if you know the right thing to do and you refuse to do it, it'll actually work against you. We got a big old holy huddle on Super Bowl weekend called a church service. 
And God may be speaking to everyone in the room to do something very different than he is speaking into my heart. And the secret of success and effectiveness this week is what we do with what we've learned. When we break this huddle, the success of a team is to execute. When we walk out of this building, the effectiveness of our life based on whatever it is God's spoken to us about is whether or not we execute or we don't. In fact, I can give you a guarantee not to mess your life up. Are you ready for this? Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've given you this principle before, but let me close with this. This is so profound. (laughs) And that is people who do what they should do cannot do what they should not do, all right? People who are doing what they shouldn't do are doing what they shouldn't do because they quit doing what they should have done. So, if you do, if you'll do what you should do, you can't do what you shouldn't do. And the minute you find yourself doing what you shouldn't do, it's because you stopped doing what you should have done. So, start doing what you should do and you can't do what you shouldn't do. Isn't that profound? <laughs> Isn't that deep? I'm a deep guy, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> so just simply say, today I'm gonna do what I should do. What should I do? Take care of my family. What should I do? Uh, be good in business. What should I do? I'm gonna do what I should do. And what, man, when you do what you should do, it's not possible that you will be doing what you shouldn't do. And man, when you look again in verse seven and again in verse nine, Paul says, man, when you do that, God's peace just fills your life. You have a different attitude. You have a different outlook. Uh, people are attracted to you. But a bad attitude, man, people will saturate your presence with their absence. (laughs) It is a people repellent. (laughs) So work on that attitude, huh? What I think, what I speak, what I choose, the attitude I embrace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that is very practical. It's very possible. And when we actually do it, it's very powerful. So help us this morning, not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it as well. Help us to understand the power of a great attitude. And I pray for my friends who are struggling, maybe they're just in a season of life, I get that. But I pray they have gotten some principles from your word that will help them in this dark, difficult season to develop a good attitude. I pray they won't beat themselves up about how it's been, but instead determine today going forward This is how it's gonna be. For my friends here today or those watching online who may never have connected with you, their creator, there may never have been a time when they just humbled their heart and swallowed their pride and said, Lord Jesus, I really need you in my life. I pray this might be the moment that with a humble heart, they'll just simply pray and say, Lord, with everything I know about me, I trust everything I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. And finally, Lord, for those who need someone to encourage them or pray for them before they go home, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll make their way here to the front and let one of these incredible people spend a few moments and encourage them and pray for them before they leave. Give us a great week. Pray you'll bless and protect. Give great success to all the businesses represented. I pray this be a wonderful time. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we stand in your presence. Until that time, we thank you and we give you great praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.